All right, if you could find a seat, that'd be great. Thank you. If you have a Bible and you can open up your Bibles, you can go to Matthew chapter 6. Open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6 as we finish up this chapter, but it's going to take two weeks. Uh, I didn't want to overwhelm you guys today. Disclaimer, uh, for those of you who come to the Wednesday Bible study, some of this is going to look familiar, but that's okay. Matthew chapter 6, going to look at the concept of wasteful Worry, wasteful worry. Jesus wants us to have a kingdom focus. He's going to say, seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Right As we've gone through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is trying to teach us you know, what, what characterizes people who are in the kingdom. How do they live? What do, they, what do their lives look like? And so now he's moving towards the kind of faith that you're going to have to have to follow Christ. And again, as Christ presents... The way of salvation in his gospels, he doesn't say, you know, pray this prayer and you're saved. He says, if you want to follow me, deny yourself, take up your cross, and then follow me. So it's a following of Christ. And so he wants us to have that eternal perspective, that kingdom focus. He wants us to follow him, and he doesn't want us to be distracted, right? And last week we looked at how the treasures of this world can distract us. He says, I want you to store up your treasures in heaven where they can be destroyed. They last forever, not treasures on this earth where they can rot away, rust away, where moth and vermin can get to them. You can't serve the things of this world and God you're going to lose your focus on the kingdom. You're not going to follow me as you ought to follow me. We've all had that experience of being distracted while they're driving, right? I can't, I have to, I can't even talk hardly while I'm driving. I have to be like both hands on straight ahead. Because if I look at my wife like this, what happens? I'm like, you know, off the side. We have to stay focused on our objective, Christ. And so today he's going to tell us that, that worry Worry can distract us from having the kingdom focus that Christ wants us to have. Now, worry is something that we all struggle with, all right? If you've if you got blood going through your veins, we all struggle with worry. One familiar, popular character says this, worrying works. Almost 90% of the time, these things never happen. It's supposed to smile. It's funny. <laughs> So maybe you're like Eeyore, right? There's always, you know, people like that. They're like Eeyore. There's always a cloud over them, and you know, there's always a crisis. They live by crisis, and they're always worried about something that's going to happen. And then you have people on the other extreme, and maybe you can relate to one or the other, right? Hakuna Matata, right? Me, worry, what, whatever, right? Neither end is helpful. Hopefully you're not like this guy. I've developed a new philosophy in life. I dread, only dread one day at a time. All right, so your perspective on life, right? Last week we looked at an eternal perspective. If your perspective in life is not through a lens of faith, trusting in God and His past performance and His promises, then you're going to be distracted by worry. So as you look at the concept of, of worry, I think we need to make some, yeah, have some understanding of different concepts that people might relate to worry but aren't necessarily worry. Fear, concern, and worry. Now, there could be some overlap, but let's look at the difference between the two. Fear 
is legit, right? Fear is something that, you know, there is factual impending danger, right? It's a distressing emotion caused by impending danger, evil pain, whether the threat is real or imagined. But in the way that I'm using it, it's like, it's, you know, you're, you see your kid getting ready to run out in the street. Ah, you know, it's fear. Concern. Concern is a state of affairs deserving attention because of the facts, right? So there are facts that are given to us, and, and it starts to generate an emotion within us, somewhat negative, because of the facts that we've been presented, right? And this is not unscriptural. Paul talks about it as he writes about his ministry to the church in Corinth. He lists all these things. He lists all these things that he suffered, right? And he says, I've labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily my pressure of concern for all the churches, right? There were facts about the churches, namely Corinth, right, at the time. And it was causing him concern, this negative emotion, right? So we see that concern is legit, and even fear, right? I should have had this uh, with the last slide, though. It, you know, the psalmist expresses fear. When I'm afraid, when I have fear, David was being chased all over the place. When he, when he was afraid, when he was fear, he would trust in God, right? God's past performance and his promises. So just to illustrate this a little bit, and I've used this example before between, uh, to, to distinguish the difference between worry, concern, and fear. Let's say you think you want to go camping, right? And you like the outdoors, you like the idea of setting up the tent and, you know, having the campfire going, you know, listen to the crickets chirp at night, you know. But you've heard that bears live in the woods. And so because you've heard that bears live in the woods and some bear might come and eat you, then that worries you. And so you would never go camping because there could be a bear in the woods someplace. Well, let's take it to concern. Let's say you've planned a camping trip. You've got all your, all your stuff together. You've mapped it all out. And you've looked at the state park and the fact of the matter is, is up on the north side, northeast side of, of the park, bears have been sighted over this past summer, right? So you might have concern about camping in the northeast section of the park because factually bears have been sighted. That's legitimate. And then there's that fear of you're camping and you're in the southwest side of the park and you hear growling and you hear scratching and you're like, that's a bear, right? And there's fear and you have this internal response and you're running, okay? So... That's the difference between the three. And I think it's important to understand, but worry is what's being addressed today. And literally, from the word that it comes from, it's like to choke or to strangle. If you have kids, you've probably had some point in your you know, life as a parent where you've been so worried for your kid that you can almost you can't even talk. It's like it's choking you. Worry is sinful. I don't know how else to say it because Jesus commands us not to worry. So if we do something that Jesus commands us not to do, and Paul says, do not be anxious, which is just the same thing as worry, it's sinful. It's a negative, repetitive process about what may or may not happen in a manner that excludes God and his promises while evaluating, while elevating, I can't talk today, elevating selfish inadequacies. So, so you have this thought about something that may or may not happen. It's 
It's, it's within the realm of possibility, and your mind is just circulating this thought, right? And all of a sudden, you're at the center of it, and God's gone out to the periphery, and you're worrying. That's what we want to avoid. That's what Jesus wants us to address, because worry will distort your kingdom focus. Worry will, will divert your eternal focus. And so if we're going to follow Jesus if we're going to imitate Christ, if we're going to be disciples of Jesus Christ, we have to deal with what Jesus tells us to deal with, and that it's worry. So what does Jesus say about worry? Let's pray. I'm going to pray that my tongue doesn't get tied again. Let's pray, and then we'll read the Scriptures. Father, we thank You for this time that we have together to open Your Word. You're so good and kind that You've revealed Yourself to us. You've revealed Yourself through Your Son, Jesus Christ, the way of salvation, the truth, and the life. Jesus Christ, and then we thank you that he spoke your words, and we have them recorded for us today. And Father, please teach us what you would have us to learn from Jesus Christ this morning. Holy Spirit, please, please transform our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Very familiar passage for most of you, Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, well, he doesn't beat around, do not worry. So the therefore goes back to the passage before. You can't serve money and God. Whoever you serve is going to be your master. And if money or possessions is your master, you're diverted from the perspective Christ wants you to have. You don't have the kingdom focus that he wants you to have. And when people worry about treasure, okay, and that's what he's going back to, the treasures, like, do I have treasure What's going to happen to my treasure? Don't worry about that, he says. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying at a single hour to your life, Verse 28, and why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and gone tomorrow, thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry. What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So as you struggle with worry, and again, I imagine... Everybody kind of falls into this category. How do you handle it? What do you do? What is your response? Well, the first thing I want you to think about, and I think Jesus wants us to think about, when worry begins to creep in, when we have these, this, this negative thought loop about something that may not happen, what do we do? Well, the first thing I want you to do is say, God is great. Remind yourself that God is great. And here what Jesus is doing is he's giving us an argument of the greater to the lesser, okay? The greater 
to the lesser. If God takes care of the animals and the flowers, then he will certainly take care of his children. Now, I think that I'm going to kind of flip that in a little bit, but it's, we'll see that God has the entire universe that he's taking care of. And if he's going to take care of the entire universe, and he can do that, can he not certainly provide what you need? So, as we look at this point that God is great, look at this. If God is great enough to give me life, he is certainly great enough to provide what I need. Jesus says, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? So your, body, your life is the greater thing. Your life is much more important to God than all the things of this earth. And so if he is going to sustain your life minute by minute in ways that you don't even know, will he not provide the clothing that you need and the food that you need, right? You, you have things that are going on inside your body right now as you sit here that only God can control, only God can sustain and if you really knew, I think this is why Solomon became so, he looked at the world and goes, our existence is frustratingly enigmatic because the more you know, the more difficult it begins to, to, to grasp how everything's holding together. Because if you knew all the processes that have to happen in your body just for you to live and exist, you would be overwhelmed. The way that your heart is pumping again and again and again and again and again, you never think about it. You're breathing all the time. You never think about it. When you breathe in, there's this transference of gas from inside your lungs to your, your, your blood. And how that happens, you're not in control of that. Not to mention your, your neurological system and all that's going on. It's just so much that God is doing and keeping you alive. This is a picture of of the clotting mechanism in your body. If one of those enzymes goes crazy, just one of those in this enzymatic cycle, then you're going to bleed when you don't want to bleed. It's called hemophilia. You don't think about that, though. But God is taking care of you. He's holding your body together. In him, in him all things hold together. Right? And so God is taking care of your life and your existence and your life is more important than the clothes that you put on your body and the food that you put into your body. So he says, don't, don't worry about your life. And he says this, your life will carry on much longer if you don't worry. Right in verse 27, he says, can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Right? We, we know just by reading scientific journals that what stress can do to a body the King James has it differently. Uh, it, it, it speaks in terms of length. Uh, the medium, the meaning, the idiom, the, the figure of speech is lengthening your life, okay? King James says, which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit or 18 inches to his stature? And, and the answer is that, no, we can't. Worry doesn't do anything but, but shorten our life. And so if, if you are trusting God daily for your existence, the fact that you can live, move, and breathe on this earth, then you need to trust him that he will provide what you need to wear, what you need to eat. Secondly here, though, if God is great enough to sustain all of creation, he can and will provide what I need. All right, so you're looking at your life personally, and he's going to give us two principles now, one from the, 
zoological world, zoology and one from botany, animals and plant life, because Jesus is speaking into a, a farming community, an agrarian culture. People were familiar with the plants and the birds. They thought about it a lot. And so Jesus says, you know what? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father, he feeds them. Like, you don't give a thought to feeding these birds, right? Sometimes I think in Hamtramck, we think if we don't feed the cats, they're all going to die, but somehow they're just miraculously alive all the time. And it's the same thing with the birds. I used to keep a bird feeder outside my backyard. I love watching birds, but all I got were the birds I didn't want, and then what else I got was all the bird poop that went with it. And so I took away the feed. Guess what? The, as far as I know, the birds didn't die. They kept flying around. God provides for them. And not just the birds, all of the animals in the world, God is sustaining them by the power of his word. The psalmist relates to this. All creatures look to you to give them their food at the proper time. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they're satisfied with good things. When you hide your face, they're terrified. When you take their breath, they die and return to the dust. When you sin your spirit, they're created, and you renew the face of the ground. Every living being creature on the face of this earth is completely dependent upon God for their life. God sustains them. And he talks about the birds here. Look how God takes care of the birds. And if he takes care of the birds, surely he's going to take care of you. Well, then he goes to the botanical side, the the plants. I love plants. I love this side, the flower side. He starts telling them to look at all the flowers that are around you. Imagine Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount. He's talking and birds are flying overhead. And he uses this illustration because he's the awesome teacher. Then he looks over and sees these beautiful flowers. He says, oh, look at these flowers over here. God makes these flowers. And that's one of the reasons I love to get my hands dirty and garden. I go out and I, and I, you know, I've said this before, you put a seed in the ground and this plant comes up out of the ground. All I do is water it and pray for sunshine. And in Michigan, you got to pray for the sunshine. And, and so this plant comes up and then I see these, these blossoms on this plant that are so uniquely structured, and the beauty is so amazing. Like Only God can do that. You look at these plants under the microscope, and that's even under a microscope, they're beautiful. Look at it. Isn't it amazing? When, when we try to make artificial flowers, guess what they look like? You put them under the microscope, that's what it looks like. Jesus says, look, why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So next week's message is those four words there at the end, you of little faith. But the point here is that you are infinitely, and we're going to see this in the next point, infinitely more important than the animals and infinitely more important than the grass. So trust in God. It's an argument of uh, a greater to the lesser. If God can take care of all these things, and he does it amazingly, then he can take care of you and your needs. So the first thing you're going to say when you begin to worry is, God is great. Look, at he takes care of all. I'm thinking about 
my circumstances over the next couple of days and, and what's going on. And, and the God of the universe is orchestrating this amazing amount of activity that's moving forward. Surely he can take care of my life. He's great. He's omnipotent. Well, the second thing I want you to say is that I am valued by God. I'm important to God. Now, this isn't some self-help, uh, anthropocentric, uh, human, or, uh, human secularistic point of view. This is what Scripture says. You are valued by God. The lie that's being taught now with respect to evolution destroys a person's understanding of their value in the eyes of God. Now, when it comes to evolution, I understand microevolution, survival of the fittest, that kind of thing. I I, I get it, okay? I don't agree with macroevolution. The lies that our kids are being taught, that somehow, you see at the top there, there's a kid holding a biology book that's telling them about Darwin and and evolution, okay? And, and, And they think that somehow they evolved from primordial soup into this amazing creature intelligently designed by the God of the universe. And so if you've evolved from protozoa and sponges, and your existence is only a bunch of cells clobbed together and tissues and organs and and neurosynapses that are firing off, if that's all that you are, then you're no different, a little more complex, but you're no different than the rest of the, the animal creation. And Jesus is like, no, no, because he says twice, he says, it's like, are you not much more valuable than they? And then with respect to the the flowers, will he not much more clothe you? Why? Because you're more valuable in God's eyes. Because why? You're created in the image of God. God has placed his image within you. You're image bearers. You have value. Listen, you have innate value, not because of what you've done, what you haven't done, or what you can do. No, because you're creating the image of God. You're fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God. And so God values you. You are valued by God. So if you begin to worry and wonder if God cares, well, yes, he cares. And he demonstrates how much you're valued through Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 8, one of my favorite sections here in in Romans chapter 8. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? That ought to solve a lot of worry if you're dealing with problems with other people, right? If God's for me, who can be against me? In the ultimate sense. My heart and flesh may fail, right? But I'll see the Lord. So in an ultimate sense, nobody can destroy you. If God is for you, who can be against you? Now, with respect to your daily existence, your kingdom focus, your eternal perspective, your desire to follow Jesus Christ the way that he demands to be followed, he's going to provide what you need. Again, what you need, isn't that the rub? That's where we have a problem. I, I don't give me what I need, but I want what I want. God's going to give us what, he need, what we need because he met our greatest need. 
God's going to give us what we need because he met our greatest need. Take care of my grandson yesterday. And he was sneezing. This glistening, man. It was just going through one of those phases where stuff is just rolling out of his nose, you know, and you want to kiss him, but you're like, and he's still he's kind of coming off of you. And I could tell he doesn't, he's like, yeah, not feeling his best. I'm like, you know what? You're going to get sick in this life. That's the least of your worries. My grandson, my beautiful grandson, his greatest need is not to have that cold taken away. His greatest need is Jesus Christ. His greatest need is to have his sin debt taken away by Jesus Christ. And God says, if I did not spare my son, but gave him up for you, will I not give you everything you need graciously? If I value you so much that the Son of God would take on a human nature and live life in a sin-cursed world only to be crucified by sinful people and rise from the dead. If I, if I value you enough to send my Son to do that, will I give you what you need to follow Him? And that's it. Christ wants you to follow Him, to be focused on Him and His kingdom. And He's saying, look, I'm asking a lot of you. And some of you are saying right now, I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I'll have what I need. How am I going to do this? And Jesus is saying, follow me. I will provide your needs. Don't worry. He'll give it to you graciously. So when you begin to worry, you say, God is great. I am valued by God. He loved me. He sent his son to die on the cross for my sins and take my sins away. And that shows me how good God is and that he'll give me what I need. And we see this in verse 31. He says, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? What? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need him, right? Need them. So Jesus right here saying, You worry, it's unchristian to worry. That's what he's saying. The pagans worry. Are you just like everybody else that you live around and they worry all the time and you kind of join into the worry party? That's unchristian, Jesus says. The pagans do that. He says, look, I've already taught you. When you pray, what's the, what are you supposed to say? Our Father in heaven. You're not like the pagans. You have a heavenly Father. You're different than them. You're not a child of the devil anymore. You're a child of God. You are special and this father that you serve, he is good. He is good. So Jesus teaches us we have a heavenly father. And while God gives life to the entire world, everybody, he has a special concern for his children. A special concern. We see this in the text. He says in verse 32, For the pagans ran after all these things, but your heavenly Father. This is kind of a a new concept. A little bit avant-garde, right? Talk to your Father. This God of the universe, the one who created everything and sustains everything, he's your Father. A pagan is one who trusts in false gods. They're not a child of God. There is a distinction to be made. 
So relate to him as your Father in heaven. Write First John chapter 3. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that's what we are. Amen. I'm a child of God. I have special rights and privileges. I can talk to my Father anytime I want. And he says, make your needs known to me every day. Father, this day, give me my daily bread. I, I want to follow Jesus. I want to keep this eternal focus, this eternal perspective, this kingdom focus. God, provide what I need today to do that. I'm one of your children. He's listening because you're special. You're his child. And as a father wants to do, he wants to meet your needs, right? He has an intimate knowledge of you, and he has a desire to meet your needs. He's not a distant father. And I, and I get sometimes you may come into this context, and maybe you didn't have a good father. It's because we live in a sin-cursed world. But I can tell you there is one father who loves you, who knows you, and he loves, loves you. Here's the thing, right? He loves us even though he knows us, right? <laughs> and he wants to meet your needs. God is not standing over you as some kind of mean ogre saying, you did this, you did that, you did Why should I give you this? Because you did these. You've got to wipe that out of your mind. Jesus took care of your sins on the cross. God is no longer your judge. He is now your Father, and He wants to meet your needs, and He knows your needs. Before you ask Him, says, just ask me. That's all you do is ask me. Right in Matthew chapter 10, are two sparrows sold for a penny, yet one of them will fall to the ground outside your Father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are numbered. So don't be afraid. Don't worry. You're much more valuable than the sparrows. And then the Matthew 7 passage, we'll get to this later on. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Answer, nobody. Or if he asks you for fish, will give him a steak? Answer, nobody. So, even though you fathers out there listening, even though you're evil and you know how to give your kids good gifts, things that they need, how much more will your Father in heaven give you, give good gifts to those who ask him? Look, Jesus knows he is asking you to follow him down a narrow road carrying a cross. And you're going to have to make sacrifices. You're going to have to make tough decisions. He knows that. And he still says, keep your eyes fixed on me, the author and perfecter of your faith. I know what suffering's like. I want you to run this race marked out for you. Keep that kingdom focused as you run that race and I will provide your needs. God cares. God sees. God knows. And he will give you what you need. So don't worry. Don't worry. Paul echoes it. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Right? All your needs. And that word needs, again, and again, I think that's the struggle. I think you know you're not going to starve to death. You know you'll have some kind of clothes on your back. But as you seek to sacrifice and follow Jesus, are you going to have the food that you want and are you going to be wearing the clothes that you want to wear and, and all that can be around that? That's the rub. So Jesus says, look, don't worry. Your heavenly Father knows that you need him. So you begin to worry say, God is great. God is good. 
I am valued. I am one of his children. So maybe this morning you're like, I don't know if I'm one of God's children. I don't know that I am. I hear you talking about being a child of God. I don't know that I am a child of God. Well, there's one way that you become a child of God, and that's through Jesus Christ. In John's Gospel, we read this, Yet to all who did receive him, who's him? That's Jesus. To all who received Jesus, to all who would believe in his name, believe that he alone died on the cross, died the death that you deserve to take your sins away, to give you the life that you don't deserve. You have to believe in him and believe in his name, what he has done for you. When you have faith in him, when you're trusting in him alone, you get the right to become a child of God and all that comes with it. And at that point, you have a place to go when you begin to become anxious. What hope do you give people outside of Christ who aren't a child of God for their worry? Pills? To all who have believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, and we have access to him to make our needs known to him, not to worry. Lastly, God is great, I am valued by God, God is good, and I have purpose. You have purpose. There shouldn't be an existential crisis, right? I've already said you're created in the image of God, and as such, you've been given purpose, and Jesus kind of shines the light on this purpose. So, so no crisis of being or purpose here. You have purpose, and Jesus gives us that purpose in verse 33. He says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Stay focused on the purpose that I have given you. Seek my kingdom. Make important what's important, make important to you what's important to the king. Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all for the glory of God and for the kingdom of God. What's important to the king? Obeying our Father. Jesus says, My very food is to do the will of the one who sent me and to finish the work that he's given me. Seek first his kingdom, and all these things will be given to you as well. Focusing, focusing on our purpose puts our needs in the right perspective. All right, so generally speaking, I've already said two things. As a follower of Christ, as a child of God, you want to glorify God with whatever you do. You want to represent God well on this earth, and you do that by obeying, right? Jesus is my food, is to do the will of one who sent me. So glorify God, you do that by obeying him. Oh, what do you mean by me? Well, Jesus says, love God with all that you are and love your neighbor as yourself. Doesn't Jesus make it easy, right? Just, just love. That's all you gotta do is love. That's what's important to the king. But he gives us these very clear instructions here at the end of his ministry here on earth. He says, all, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. Now, this isn't for a few you know, really good, intense, professional Jesus followers. I say this often. This is for all of us. Go and make disciples of all nations, of all people, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. And Jesus says, don't worry. 
I know the thought of going and make disciples, that's going to be overwhelming. What do you mean? Look at me. Who am I that I would do something like this? Jesus, I'll provide what you need. I've given you the gospel. I've given you my word. You have everything that you need. I have all authority in heaven and on earth. I'll be with you. Don't worry. So we have this kingdom-focused perspective and this purpose. Our life is more than just to, to, to live on this earth and consume resources that we work hard for. We have purpose. And as we stay focused on the purpose, then we begin to worry less by the things around us. Right? We're in a race. We're in a marathon. We don't want to get distracted by things that we shouldn't be distracted about, right? You get this picture here? Like, who running a marathon is going to be focused on eating a cheeseburger and fries? Although that looks good right now, doesn't it? It's almost time. But you get the point. We can be so easily distracted by the very basic things of this world, what you eat and what you wear. And Jesus says, don't worry, stay focused. I've given you purpose. Stay on task. And as you focus on the main things, if you keep the main thing the main thing, you're not going to get distracted. You're not going to worry. So when you begin to worry, say to yourself, God is great. I am valued by God. God is good, and I have purpose. Do not worry. Jesus closes by saying, Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. That's just it, tomorrow. One commentator says this, he says, Worry will not destroy tomorrow's trials, but it will certainly use up today's strength. Worry will not destroy tomorrow's trials, but it will certainly use up today's strength. As I close with this application, I, I, I do this often when I'm talking to people and they're struggling with worry, and I draw three circles The big circle is God and all that God can take care of. And God can take care of everything because he's God. So all those events that are under God's control. And then tomorrow has events that you don't know about. You don't know what's going to happen. You may have an idea. It may be in your planner. Okay. But tomorrow's troubles, they're under God's control, but there's nothing you can do about them. And the blue circle is you. That's today's concerns. And that's what you need to be dealing with. That's what you need to be focused on. So you need to be able to distinguish between today's concerns and tomorrow's troubles and what you can take care of and what God can take care of. This is a very helpful exercise. So as we consider, you consider your life, right? So there are certain things that only God can take care of or knows about. When I die, the salvation of my children, the safety of my children, future spouse, job security, president, that's coming up, right? President of the United States, safety crossing the road, Holbrook and Joseph Campo. All right, so so certain things only God can control, right? And you don't know if it's ever going to happen or not, but you have to leave it to God. Jesus says tomorrow will take care of itself. Don't worry about tomorrow, but what do we do sometimes? We bring tomorrow into the sphere of our existence today, and we marginalize God, and that is what causes worry, and that's what increases worry. So next week as we get together, we're going to talk about how to deal with that through faith. But Jesus says, no, I want you to focus on today. Let today, let tomorrow take care of itself. 
Another commentator says this, No person ever sank under the burdens of the day. It is when tomorrow's burdens is added to the burden of today that the weight is more than a person can bear. We start adding up things that may never happen. It weighs us down. Another commentator says this, when, our, when we allow our daily concerns to turn into worry and therefore sin, when our thoughts become focused on changing the future instead of doing our best to handle our present circumstances. God's given you today. It's a present. It's a gift. It's today. You focus on today. Now, I'm not negating planning. You need to plan. You need to plan ahead. You need to save. You need to go to the grocery store on Monday if you're going to have something on Friday. You've got to plan ahead. Do you understand what I'm saying? If you have children, you definitely know what I'm talking about. Okay? If you have people you know, in your family that have issues going, you know what I'm talking about. But Jesus tells us, in the midst of trying to stay focused on the kingdom, he never, ever promises us a trouble-free life. He never promises us a trouble-free life. As sparks fly upward, we're born for adversity. Jesus says each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus acknowledges the fact that there will be trouble. But he's teaching us here that if trouble enters into your life by the good, kind hand of your Father, your loving Heavenly Father is going to guide you through that trouble. Right? That's the promise of Philippians chapter 4. When he says, rejoice in the Lord always, I say, I'll say it again, rejoice he says, look, God is near. Let your gentleness be known to the people around you. Do not be anxious. I want you to give thanksgiving to God with prayers and supplications, asking God, pray to him, and what? The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus in the midst of the trouble. You understand? God doesn't promise to take troubles away. He says, I'll be there with you in the trouble. So the results of worrying about the future is that it will cripple you in the present. And then we become focused on the things of this earth. We lose our kingdom focus. We lose our eternal perspective. And we aren't uh, as uh, useful in God's kingdom as we, as we should be. Okay. So next week, what I want to do is I want to talk about why is it that we worry? Why are we worriers? And I think I kind of let you in on it. It's because we have a lack of faith. But when you begin to worry, say, God is great. God is good. I am valued by God. I have purpose. All right, so come back next week for the second part, and we'll see how we can grow our faith. We can get big faith to get little worry. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, we're going to sing together uh, in just a second. I'm going to pray for us first. And well, this is something we all struggle with, okay? Over the course of the next couple of weeks, I want you to keep in mind, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. Jesus says, you have little faith, stop worrying. If you want to get big faith, be in the word, be in prayer, okay? And we'll talk about that next week. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the words of Jesus that teach us so clearly about worry. We pray that you would enlarge our understanding.